all of Canuck Nation can take a collective breath. Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes are back in the fold. Both players signed contract extensions, or at least have agreed to terms on contract extensions. For Hughes, it is a six-year deal worth $7.75 million per year. For Elias Pettersson, three years, $7.35 million. All done and done. The players are expected to arrive in Vancouver on Saturday and join their team shortly thereafter. And as such, we've got an emergency podcast, Farhan Lalji and Thomas Drance. Drancer, we just did this the other day. We fought about baseball. We're not going to fight about it today. Your thoughts on the handiwork of Canuck General Manager Jim Benning? You know, we've spent a lot of time in this market hyping up these contracts like years years of talk radio segments and you know digital pixels being darkened and ink being spilled breaking down what these deals could look like the impact of them you know it's been an all-consuming topic and these deals come down today and fundamentally farhan there's kind of nothing remarkable about them you know like they're pedestrian deals i mean Pedersen hasn't joined the bloated second contract forward class the way he was poised to potentially do. Um, he's instead sort of just maybe a little bit raised the bar on the Braden Point Matt Barzell class with a bridge contract at 7.35. Uh, he'll still be an RFA after the deal's done, although with arbitration rights, and he'll be able to call his own shot with a relatively high QO. Max QO could be 8.82 once all said and done. You know, that's a, I mean, it's a settlement, right? It's a settlement. And then Hughes, you go look at Hughes and I mean, in historical context, like this is the fourth highest AAV of all time for a second contract defender, right? So, you know, like he's beat Pietrangelo, Doughty, Ekblad, Eric Carlson, like he's beat all of those guys. The only guys higher than him are Thomas Shabbat and Miro Haskinen and Kale McCarr. That's not nothing, but it's, you know, it's, it's something, I mean, it's meaningful. And so, you know, when I look at it though, yet and think about it, I still think, you know, fundamentally both are fair deals. Like both are fair deals all told and the Hughes deal, you know, the only like sort of quibble that I could have with it is maybe, maybe at that type of cap hit, you'd want to see it be a seven-year contract, but I, they went long. I think that's a contract that mostly makes sense. And on the Pedersen front, I mean, I, I don't like doing a bridge deal if you're not a contender for a player of that caliber, but, you know, I, I don't think it's a terrible outcome for the Canucks. Fundamentally, these are compromise deals and fair compromises at that. Um, you know, I'm not going to give it my, like, tidy bit of business seal of approval, but... They're solid outcomes for the Canucks. They, they've done these deals. These players will be at camp. And, you know, that's good work. When you look at Pedersen's deal in the context of RFAs, contracts that started as RFAs and still finished with the team having some control at the end of it, this is the highest deal ever. Consider that Patrick Lyon a signed his qualifying offer, which was a little bit higher. That was a $7.5 million one-year QO. But as far as a, an actual contract that got negotiated and signed, this is the top. And again, you know, many of us were projecting that this wouldn't be a bridge deal when we had these years of discussion, as you pointed out. So it's certainly a challenge. But if you are in this situation, I don't think the pressure leaves Jim Benning right now. 
because Jim Benning now has three years, A, to keep his job, but he's got three years to put this franchise in a position where Elias Pettersson wants to continue and wants to sign a long-term deal. Because like you said, the QO at that point, if it gets to 8.82, what a Elias Pettersson contract is going to look like at that point is going to be significantly higher than that in terms of AAV. So that part of the structure isn't really even a factor. No, I, I mean, the platform year part of the structure doesn't really matter a ton, right? It, it's kind of a max AAV, uh, or sorry, it's set to his overall AAV, 120%. So that's 8.82. And he might not even get there depending on the structure of the deal. But I mean, a safe bet that he will. You know, you look ahead and I think the key part now is that like if you're doing this deal, like this is a deal again that you do if you're on the fringes of being a contending team, which I don't think the Canucks are. And so the pressure now for me is like, can you revamp this defense course sufficiently over the life of this three-year deal that you make it count, right? That you're saving a couple of million or two and a half million or whatever it is off of Pedersen's AAV for the next three years, probably at the expense of inflating to some extent his third contract. Yeah, and when you look at the contracts that are coming, it also gives them a little bit of room as far as Bo Horvat and JT Miller in two years because you've still got those players a year after that in terms of how you're going to negotiate those deals in the short term. But in the very short term, according to Puckpedia, the Canucks are now $2.41 million over the cap with 23 players on the projected roster, including Travis Hamanick. We don't have news yet on whether he's opting out and how his situation is going to affect the Canucks cap let alone their roster. So let's say for the sake of argument that Travis Hamannick, by some miracle, decides to join the team. Where do the Canucks go to find that cap relief? Well, they still have it. Like, they'll be fine. They, they, have, they have the space to have Hamannick come on to the team and play, and that's still the best-case scenario for him. Like, they can, they can get, with these deals done, Hamannick back. Like, Hamannick's status, we're still waiting on it, as we record on Friday afternoon, um, you know, Hamannick's status fundamentally did not impact these negotiations. Like they, Hamannick returning to the fold and playing is best case scenario from a Canucks perspective. So, you know, they're, they're prepared to do that. Hamannick uncertainty, because it's still uncertain, because he could still play, that cap space remains accounted for. The club would love for him to be back. So, his status did not ultimately impact these contract talks. It could have. It could have if they'd gone long or if they'd had certainty on Hamannick or if they'd had more money to play with. Maybe that could have been part of these negotiations, part of the route to creative problem solve and figure out a resolution here. But it, they weren't. At the end of the day, on Thursday morning, the sides found a compromise. And fundamentally, I think the compromise was that Pedersen's deal looks an awful lot more like Matt Barzell's than it does like Miko Rantanen's, right? Like that, fundamentally, that's the compromise that the two sides ultimately got to. Um, and that, you know, is a good spot for the Canucks to have been in. Like that matters too, in terms of how we should judge and look at these deals. We've heard three years for a few days now. So and we also heard a number yesterday when news first broke that these deals were close, that it was going to be higher, above 7.7. 7.35, does that lead us to believe that it was their side that moved on this deal? 
Well, I mean, I look at that Pedersen deal and I think it's suggests to me anyway, and, and I, you know, I'll, I'll need to confirm this, but it suggests to me that on the Pedersen front anyway, um, the player probably moved, right? Like, I think that that's what it looks like to me because it's, you know, it's still a good contract outcome. I mean, it still raises the bar a little bit for those second contract bridge guys, but it's 350,000 more than Matt Barzell made. Pedersen's got a higher points per game over the course of his deal. And yeah, I mean, he had the weak platform year, like he had the weak contract year because of the injury and because he only had 21 points in 26 games. But, you know, the fact remains is that his body of work overall compared, you know, pretty closely to guys like Marner and exceeded guys like Eichel and Rantanen and honestly, even Dreisaitl. Um, So, you know, I think he comes in a little light, to be totally honest, versus where my expectations were. And if there's sort of one thing that, you know, you maybe would say, hmm, you, you, that's a missed opportunity. It's like, you do sort of wonder if the Canucks could have leveraged that to go longer in, in as favorable a circumstances as you're ever likely to get in contract talks with a player of Elias Pettersson's quality. Right. Um, but uh, you know, I think that was explored too. I think there was a pretty high baseline. Uh, until Thursday, like until Thursday, their talks were pretty frustrated and things changed in the morning. They accelerated in the afternoon. And that gets us to today with a deal that wasn't close, wasn't close. And then all of a sudden got close, which, which let's just note for one final time here, Farhan, like if there's ever a negotiation that underlines why isn't close, doesn't matter, right? It's this one, like the two sides were not close on Wednesday night. And by Thursday afternoon, the deal was done, right? Like that is a a, a wild swing, but that's also just kind of how negotiations work. Yeah. And I'm curious when we get a chance to talk to Pedersen and just try to find out what changed in his mind, were there any other additional factors that were able to get him to that point? Because, you know, we were hearing a larger number, obviously the Canucks would have preferred a better term, but they wouldn't have been close to a number available to make that happen. But here we are. And I just wonder if there's anything extenuating that brought him, because as you suggest, the player moved in this case, or at least we believe he did. Let's look at the roster and see how this is going to impact things from the Canucks perspective, because does this effectively end JT Miller at center or given the situation with Brandon Sutter, are we still going to see Miller at center? I don't know. I don't know. Well, Matthew Highmore said that he's playing center tonight in Calgary for the preseason game. So, you know, they're still auditioning to see if they have options in the bottom six, because, you know, you you still need a fourth center, even with Pedersen back in the lineup, right? Like if you're going to play Miller at wing, you need a fourth line center whether it's Dowling or Highmore or like, you know, that seems to still be in flux. And the fact that Highmore is playing at center again for the second time this preseason suggests that they're going to audition him again in that spot. So, you know, let, I mean, we'll see. Uh, does Miller stay at center? I hope not. <laughs> yeah, me too. Like, you know, I just, I just think it accentuates the one thing in his game which is puck management that can be a little, uh, you know, uh, like it, it accentuates the double-edged sword part of his game. Whereas when he plays on the wall, all of the extra moves that he makes to protect the puck, like are genius, you know, like the same qualities <laughs> that make him such an impressive driver on the wing 
I feel like make him less effective than the sum of his parts in the middle. So, you know, I, I mean, we'll see, we'll see what happens. I, I'm really curious to see where they slot Miller though. Once Pedersen comes back, because Miller has played endlessly with Connor Garland, right? And yeah. clearly that's a duo that the Canucks are looking at strongly. So if he's not going to play center, is it Dickinson? Is it Horvat? Because Horvat's been glued to Pearson. So it would seem like if your duos so far through Canucks training camp have basically been Hoaglander, Besser, Pearson, Horvat, and Garland, Miller... Um, you know, I think we know where Pedersen slots in that, right? But where does Miller, in the event that you move him off of the wing? Like, is it Dickinson with Miller and Garland? Because I don't know that we've seen enough from Dickinson <laughs> to suggest that that's a good idea, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm curious. Maybe, or, or does Pedersen slot with Miller and Garland? And they do sort of a reduced lotto line thing. I, I mean, uh, there's tons of options and Pedersen obviously gives the Canucks their trump card again, uh, which is playing the lotto line. And I don't think anyone would complain if they were to roll with that and then something like Dickinson, Podkoles, and Hoaglander as, as just a third line. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Meanwhile, we haven't seen as much of Besser and Hoaglander together in practice the last couple of days. What do you take from that? You know, I don't know. I, I'm, I haven't had a chance. We haven't had a chance to ask Travis about it as a media pool. Um, presumably he's battling something. Uh, hopefully it's not serious though. The one thing that I look at is like, I know Brock Besser led the team in scoring last year, but reading between the lines of some of the decisions that green has made throughout the course of training camp, like it looks to me like there's a fair bit of, um, responsibility being given to Brock that hasn't in the past, like, and, and maybe this is because Pedersen's absent or, or what have you, but I look at that power play unit that they rolled out the other day and, you know, assuming that Hughes and Petey are going to be mainstays up high with Besser, right? It has Hoaglander at the bumper and Pearson at the net front. That's four lefties. The only right-handed shooter on that power play unit would be Brock Besser. And that means in practice that everyone's a one-timer option for him. That You're essentially turning over, initiating on the power play, to Brock Besser, a guy who came into the league as a shooter, but has become a pretty adept playmaker over the years. But, you know, a primary power play playmaker version of Brock Besser. And granted, you know, Quinn Hughes is obviously going to do a fair bit of signal calling himself in that situation. But nonetheless, like that's a lot of responsibility for a player who's never been entrusted with that kind of rope, that kind of duty in the past. And then I look also at the Hoaglander-Besser thing, right? And, and that, to me, implies that the Canucks are at least curious to see if Besser and Pedersen together can drive a line without the input of Miller on their left wing. And to me, that, again, is like a pretty strong vote of confidence in his emergence as like not a young player, but a man in this league from the head coach. And so this all just sort of ups the stakes. Like They need Besser to be healthy 
because they're going to be counting on him in a way they never have before, uh, as good as he's been for them since he entered the league. Any concerns about Pedersen's wrist? Like, do you think that's something the club wants to take a look at early, or do you think they've got enough in the way of reports where they're past that right now coming into this? I mean, how can you not be concerned until you've seen him? You know, like how? I, yeah. I, I don't think I don't think that's not a concern. Put it that way. From what I'm hearing, I do think that's you know that may be something that may be something to watch for once we begin to see Pedersen both in practices and preseason tune-up games. Based on what we saw in the last preseason game, and we looked, and even at the last practices, we've seen balanced power play units with Hughes and Pedersen back in the fold. Does that become easier or more difficult? I, th- I think they'll, you know, I actually talked to Jason King and I'll r- r- run a piece on this in the next few days, but I talked to Jason King the other day and sort of quizzed him about it. I, I think we're going to see base. Like, I think those units are, if not final entirely and, and maybe tweaked a bit, like I think we're at least seeing an articulation of an overall approach, right? Like he'd like to roll balanced units. I think like he'd like to roll balanced units and in so doing, I think he understands that Besser, Pedersen, Hughes as a trio is potent, right? Like it's something not to be interfered with. And so, you know, not that these are set in stone, not, not that, uh, not that you know, the cement is hardened here. But I do think that at the very least, we will see those three guys play together on one power play unit. And I don't think they'll get both Bo Horvat and JT Miller or both Bo Horvat, JT Miller, or, you know, all three of Bo Horvat, JT Miller, Garland, not that they could, but I'm, I'm just saying like with the way the personnel is designed, I mean, I think it's going to be those three with, you know, some, some supporting pieces. Maybe it's Pod Colson, maybe it's Hoaglander, maybe it's Pearson, maybe it's Alex Chason, but it's going to be supporting pieces with that group of three. And then I think it's going to be similarly like Garland, Horvat, Miller, OEL and somebody. And, you know, this is where I do think Alex Chason and look, if he can get himself into the mix, he's going to need a hell of a game tonight, I think, to even make it a consideration. But a player like Gadjevich, like they obviously want, uh, you know, Chason or a guy like that in the lineup for net front purposes. And the fact that Chason also is a right-handed shooter, I mean, that's, you know, that's a leg up that he's going to really have in these final roster battles in the weeks ahead. I asked you earlier if Hamannick is not here, sorry, if Hamannick is here from a salary cap purpose, what about if he's not here in terms of a Hughes partner purpose? Do we assume it's going to be Pullman? Do we think it'll be Shen? We pretty much are both of the same opinion that it's not going to be Myers. Um, I don't think it's going to be Myers, no. Not, not, not on that shutdown pair and not with, uh, maybe with Hughes. I mean, if they go with Hughes, that means OEL and like, like if they go Hughes Myers, that that pair is really going to be protected in terms of usage, and I just don't think they can afford to do that. I wonder if they have to split OEL Pullman ultimately and go Hughes Pullman, right, and then OEL Myers. Um, I, I wonder if that'll have to be a consideration. Although I'd, I'd imagine that Hughes Shen could also be a consideration and a strong one based on the fact that they've played together previously. Um, you know, and, and Shen would seem to more closely approximate what the Canucks are looking for in like a, a Hughes caddy typically than a player like Myers does. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think that 
it's going to allow them to fit their other pairs a little bit better to just have Shen play in that role. And could you imagine Hughes Myers and you protect a $14 million defensive pair? Well, you know, that's, that's a funny thing to note too. Like you, you bring up the $14 million defensive pair, but like, do you know that the Canucks are now the second most expensive blue line in the NHL? Yeah, I saw that. Like only San Jose costs more. Um, not a lot of bang for your buck out of that group, right? And and use an OEL, fifteen million combined, fifteen and a half well, million, and then combined. and then throw in Myers, right? Twenty one million. So wow. I mean, yeah, like it's going to be the thing. The other thing here is that it's intractable, right? Like Myers is not easy to move off of. Uh, OEL is not easy to move off of. Like this has got to work. This group on paper, people are expecting it to be one of the most feeble defensive groups in the league. It better not be. Like it better not be for thirty million combined. They have to be good. Like they have to be pretty good, or this team is is hooped. And when you look at two, like the term on Pedersen's deal, like when Pedersen's deal expires, he'll expire the same time as Myers. But OEL Hughes and Pullman will still be on the books. And and you know one one thing that I've sort of been grappling with, thinking about over the course of today, as we've you know thought through these contracts and broken them down is like the fundamental test. Now the main thing that that's now locked in is like the Canucks have to build a contending quality blue line during the run of Pedersen's new contract, right? Like that's the task. Now that's the high level number one bullet point thing. You got to get done. It's not going to be easy. <laughs> that is not. I just don't know how you build task. it, rebuild it, add to it when you're paying 21 million to those three players and and yeah. 30 million collectively. It just doesn't make sense. But bottom line, from a Canuck fan standpoint, those are problems for another day. Hughes and Pedersen are back in the fold. They will be back in Vancouver on Saturday and should be playing at some point early next week. And we'll get a chance to hear from them before that. But for now, that is our emergency pod. My first emergency pod. I feel better already. Congratulations. Way to go. go. Emergency pod. We've done it. The VIPs have been asking for it. This one's for you. Meanwhile, I would say it was clamoring. They were clamoring. Yeah. We thought we'd get it done early this morning, but here we are. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so much going on. And it was like, well, will these break or what's going on with Hamannick or, um, yeah. Do we do another one if Hamannick decision, if that comes through? No. No, no okay. at this point we'll be set. We'll, we'll be back Monday. We'll break down it. We'll break it all down. Um, but you know, the Hamannick thing, I mean, we, we might not have clarity today anyway. So um, we'll see. Going to be very fascinating to see how this all plays out. Meanwhile, the athletic hockey show with Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian down goes Brown, Craig Custon, Sean Gentilly, Max Boltman, and Corey Pronwin publishes five times a week at The Athletic and wherever you listen to your podcasts. And as far as our emergency pod is concerned, thanks for listening to The Vancast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to leave a rating and review. Subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, then just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, annual subscriptions to The Athletic are 50% off when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. And once again, The VanCast returns on Monday with Hughes and Pedersen in the fold. Thanks for listening.